0: They're not going fishing. I, I don't get it. You've got the time off, you've got the boat and you're not going to fish. There's something wrong with this picture. Oh well. I guess there are other things to do besides fish when you're on vacation. So we turn to 2 Kings the 5th chapter. <clears throat> this whole story is a great story. I commend to you this story. I I commend to you the reading of this story. I'm going to take you through it rather briefly so that you know the details. And then we will move through and talk about what we can learn from this dedicated domestic. We never know her name. But if you notice that in the last couple weeks we've dealt with women. In Israel, we can get to know their name here. It's one of the curiosities. So, this young girl is held captive. She's been turned into a slave, and she is a slave in the house of Naaman, who is the commander of the armies of Syria. Syria is not very friendly with Israel. In fact, they've taken great delight through the years in attacking Israel. That is how the little girl became a slave in the house of Naaman. Naaman is a leper. To be a leper in that day is to have a death sentence. Nobody knew what to do about it. There were no antibiotics. Hansen's disease is not curable except by antibiotics. You will die a horrible and disgusting death, and that is what awaits Naaman. There's no cure. There is no hope, except for the little girl. And the little girl obviously thinks enough about the people for whom she is working. This is unpaid labor, mind you. The people that she is slaving for, that she says, if only he was in in Israel, he could be cured in Israel. If only he was with the prophet, prophet in Samaria. So the normal thing for a king to do to help a, a vassal like Naaman is, is that he gets some money together, he gets some stuff together, and he writes a letter, and he sends the letter with Naaman to the king of Israel, whose name is Ahab. Wicked, evil, rotten, disgusting, despicable Ahab. Ahab gets the letter about this guy needs healing. And he rips his clothes. He thinks that this is just a way for Syria to have a good excuse to go to war again. Except that Elisha hears what's happening. And he sends Gehazi, his messenger, Damon comes for a visit, he's told go wash in the River Jordan seven times. Okay, what's the big deal? The River Jordan is ugly. It's only as it flows into the Sea of Galilee that the River Jordan is worth looking at. And even today with all the agriculture that's gone on, very little of the River Jordan is actually blue and pretty. It's mostly muddy and <clears throat> disgusting. And old Naaman looks at it and says, we've got real rivers with water that looks nice. Why should I wade into this stupid river in this stupid land? I'm not going to do it. And if you looked at the River Jordan, you would have said, Naaman, I understand completely. Go home and wash. But that's not what he was told. So he goes in, and after he comes up, after the seventh time of dipping into the river, remember seven is a number of completeness, he dips into the river seven times, he is completely healed. He comes out and he says to Elisha, let me give you all of this stuff that I brought. And Elisha says, nope. Sends him on his way all Naaman asks for is some bags of dirt so that he can build an altar in Syria and worship the God of Israel. Now if you read this story you will also see that Gehazi gets in trouble and gains Naaman's leprosy because Gehazi goes and says to Naaman, wait a minute the prophets changed his mind, give me some of the gold, some of the silver, some of the clothes. And Gehazi inherits Naaman's leprosy. I commend to you the whole reading of 7 Kings 5. I think you will enjoy the story. If you have a little trouble sleeping tonight, Uh read this good story. It won't put you to sleep. It will lay good groundwork for you going to sleep. And you will feel good about what the Lord has done. All we know about this little girl, she's a little girl and she's a slave. We don't know what happens to her after the conclusion of this story. I would think that Naaman would go home and say, you know what, let's take you back home to your mom and dad. You've earned it, you've been such a wonderful person. The story doesn't care. She's just a little girl who is a slave. But she's a little girl who is a slave who speaks up when she has the opportunity Now, if you're like me, if you have the chance to speak up to get somebody healed who has taken you captive, ripped you away from mom and dad, who is not paying you any great salary, and you hear that this guy who stole you has leprosy, you're going to say, yes! There is justice on this earth. And I hope that he dies a long and terrible death with his nose falling off and his fingers falling off and his lips falling off. I hope he is just miserable scum. He is. He deserves everything. What does little girl do? She goes, if only he was with the prophet in Samaria, he could be healed. What a gracious... This little girl actually understands the graciousness of God. Knowing that God is gracious, she can offer his grace to someone else. She really doesn't expect, in the way the language is, that Naaman's going to run off to Israel. Why? Because Syria and Israel are enemies. But she says if only he could be there, he could be healed. the words from a little girl who really ought to hate her master, but instead says, there's grace from God, and you can receive that grace. I want to remind you of the words of Proverbs 25, the first chapter, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Isn't that a nice verse? This girl says fit words to Naaman. Naaman's household gets to see what God can do in healing when his grace is applied to someone's life who calls on him for salvation. And it's not just healing that Naaman receives. He understands that the God of Israel is to be worshipped. So he takes the dirt home so he can build an altar so he's not going to worship God on an altar constructed of dirt in Syria. He wants good Israeli dirt, like the stuff that's flowing in the Jordan River, so that he can really worship the God of Israel. And he says to the prophet, there's only one thing. There's only one more thing I need. Since I am the most trusted guy in the land, when the king goes in to worship his false gods, he leans on me. Will I be pardoned for going in? Not for worshiping, but just for going in with the king. And says, go in. Let the king lean on. By the way, just as an aside, that's something you need to know. Christians can go into other settings where people are worshiping, whether or not we agree with their worship. We can show respect. We can treat people with kindness and with gentleness. I did a funeral a number of years ago because there was no Hindu priest. And I was asked to do the funeral. I said, I'll do the funeral, but I'm going to do a Christian funeral. That's okay. And then when the service dawned, just before the time of the service, they came in and said, here is a guy who is going to read the Hindu texts and do some prayers. Well, I don't speak Hindi. I don't care about their prayers. So I, of course, left. I introduced the gentleman who was going to read the prayers and said he's got some books for those of you that read the language. For those of you that don't, we're just going to sit and listen and show respect even though we don't understand. which just what I did. And the family thanked me. They said, we thought you were just going to get up and leave. I said, oh no. I can show respect. You can go into a place where they're worshipping false gods without fear of being tainted because you are actually not worshipping that god. You are worshipping the true god so you can stand there and show respect, or sit there and show respect. But the little girl, to me, is a remarkable little girl. She really demonstrates what it means to be faithful to God in all circumstances of life. She doesn't like her circumstance. I don't know whether she liked Naaman or didn't like Naaman, or liked Mrs. Naaman or did like Mrs. Naaman. But she is concerned for this man, even though he's not letting her go free. Even though he's not paying her wages. She is concerned for him, and so she speaks up when she has opportunity. And there is the clue for us. You may not agree with everybody's circumstance. But we can still speak up and make a difference in someone's life. So when you turn the page over and you find words of life and witness, I'm hoping you will pay attention to these words. You know, it can be really difficult to give a sermon when you think that's what ought to get done. Somebody says, oh, you know what, I'm really having trouble with my child. Well, let me tell you how you can fix that. If you would only turn to God and take your child to church and have your child turn to God, God can turn everything into a good thing and you'll be okay if only you'll turn to God, repent of your sins, and thereby avoid hell. I can guarantee when you respond that way, the person who's come to you just so you can be a listening ear will shut down Now, the good part is they'll probably never talk to you again about real problems, so you won't have to worry about it. It is good to be prepared with some things that we can think about and then say to someone who's having difficulty, I will pray for you. That's a nice thing to say. But by the way, don't say it unless you mean it. If you say, I will pray for you, and you go away and don't think about it, what have you done? You've said some words that are utterly worthless and meaningless. I will pray for you means you need to take a note somewhere and say, pray for Georgette. And the next time you see Georgette, you can say, Georgette, I've been praying for you. What's happening in that circumstance in your life? you see, that doesn't take much. You didn't have to give the four spiritual laws. You didn't have to give every one of the rules that you find in the scripture. You didn't even have to take them through the Apostles' Creed. All you had to do was say, I'll pray for you. See, God's the only one that can change a life. You can't change a life. But God can. So when your friend comes to you and says, I'm having this difficulty, and you listen, because most of the time people just need somebody who's going to listen, when you realize that the talking is done, I'll pray for you. You may also find it appropriate to say, may I pray for you right now? Now this is where it takes a lot more courage. Because after all, most of you have not stored up long, long Christian prayers so that people will know they're actually being prayed for. This is where we tend to get nervous. May I pray for you? And you're going, oh, I hope they don't say anything. I hope they say, no, please, don't, no, no, no. May I pray for you? that would be wonderful. Now what do you do? practice. Lord, I pray for JoJet and all the circumstances of her life, that you will take her through this time, that she'll know your love as you're at work in her life. In Jesus' name. That's all it takes. You don't have to do a great flowery prayer, O Lord, the maker of the skies and the stars and the trees and the birds, the one who holds us all in the palm of your hand. O Lord, the creator of all things, the one who sent your son into the world to die for our sin, even for Georgette's sin, as awful as it is. O Lord, don't do that. Just pray for that situation and be done, because you're thinking about that situation anyway. Pray for the situation. Here's another good line, how may I help you? So Georgette is struggling, or Bill is struggling, or John is struggling, or whomever is struggling, and they tell you the story, you say, how may I help Maybe they're waiting for somebody who says, what can I do to make a difference? They may not need anything from you, but that, can I do something to help? Can I do something to make a difference? Might be an encouragement to them. And then when they say, do you think you could take me to the gas station? because I need a gallon of gas, immediately say, no, that's not in the realm of possibilities. If you're a a woman talking to a gentleman, don't do it. It's not a good thing to do. Consider how you can actually help, and how you can actually make a difference safely. And then follow the good sense. That God gave you. Now I know that you've been thinking about a friend that' been inviting you to worship. Jeff was talking about it when he was not yet a Christian. The guy kept saying to him, "So what are you doing Sunday?" Well, I think I'm not going to do But how about the Sunday after that? Well, I'm not going to do this. Well, how about the Sunday after that? Well, no, oh, I've got. And the Sunday after that? No, no, no. And the guy finally gets Jeff about a year out or more. <laughs> And he knows good, well, Jeff is only making an excuse. So, what about the third Sunday after Easter next year? No, I, don't, I don't know. How about if I take you to worship with me that day, then we'll go to lunch together? That's an easy thing to do. Have you ever invited somebody to a movie? You want to go to a movie with me? You want to go to the park with me? want to go to worship with me? And then we can go out to lunch together. Somebody who's overwhelmed with the sense of their guilt and shame because of whatever reason, and they begin to talk to you about that guilt and shame, you finally have the opportunity to say, Jesus died and rose again to free you from that guilt and shame. That's all it takes. You don't need any great long sermon. You're just giving your friend a word. of encouragement. Well, I think that I've done such bad things that God isn't going to hear my prayer. Well, no, the scriptures make it clear that no one, no one is too evil turn to God. God will forgive. May I take you to the grocery store or pick up groceries for you practical thing that you can do for someone who is in need. What's the point of the Words of Life and Witness? The young girl in the house of Naaman knew what to say to make a difference. And she said it very simply. She didn't wish Naaman the joys of dealing with leprosy and saying, well, since you're not in Israel and you're not with the prophet, you're going to die. Ha, ha, ha. She just said, if only you were there in Samaria with the prophet, God could heal you. She knew what to say. If you plan in advance and you've got some things that are in your mind and as you're listening to people speak, God's Holy Spirit will help you know what to say and then you can open your mouth and say it. Not with a long sermon, not with a diatribe. How can I help you? Can I pray for you? Do you just need someone to take you to the grocery store to pick up groceries for you? No one is too evil to turn to God. If you plan and you think about it, all you are looking to do is to say a fit word at the right time. Your responsibility is not to drag someone kicking and screaming out of the gaping hounds of hell's mouth. Your responsibility is to talk as a faithful witness about God's love and you don't even have to do it using those words people will understand that you are expressing God's love when you say how can I help you? can I pray for you can I get some groceries for you we have opportunities that we often fail to notice Because we're not thinking about how we could say a small word at the right time and make a difference in the life of someone else. Think about the people that have made a difference in your life with a small word at the right time. I would encourage you, desert the sermon. Don't think like you have to take them through a Bible study on justification, sanctification, glorification, and redemption. You just don't need to do it. All you're going to do is to say what you think Jesus would say if Jesus was right there. And I want to remind you that Jesus is right there. And you get to be his hands, and his feet, and his mouth. And just quietly make a difference with words of life and wisdom. That's what that dedicated domestic girl did. She defied everything that we should think of as normalcy in the situation of slavery showed man how he could regain his life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the people that you have put in our lives who said a good word at the right time, because we know that word came from you. May we be people who look for the opportunity to gently, kindly, graciously, and with sincerity, say a word of comfort or encouragement, a word offering assistance, so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus here in this world. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Scriptures tell us that on the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. He blessed and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this as often as you eat it, remembering me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, poured out for you for many the remission of sins do this as often as you drink it remembering me Father we rejoice in what you have done we rejoice in the gift of your salvation a gift we could not earn a gift we do not deserve so we revel in your grace and mercy rejoicing that in Jesus we have life and forgiveness And so as we take the bread and as we take the cup, may we know the presence of our Lord who came to give us life. We praise you in his name.